Well, I invite you to turn in the Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's after Joshua and Judges in the Old Testament before you get to First and Second Kings. And I want to uh, draw your attention because I'm afraid I'll forget to do this uh, later on. Maybe I'll remember to make reference to, to these, uh, these items. Uh, there are a number of resources out on the foyer table uh, that I hope will be helpful for all of us in dealing with some application of these very important topics we're going to cover in our passage today. Uh, we've got a whole series of booklets. In fact, we've had that stand out there for some time with these little uh, booklets on various topics. I, until really looking at it this morning, I didn't even realize how many relate to to the topic at hand for today. Uh, there's one, Renewing Marital Intimacy, one on sexual addiction, one on uh, sexual, sex before marriage, uh, one that just says, help, my spouse committed adultery, and one on divorce recovery. So just maybe pertinent to the topics at hand today. Uh, there's an excellent book out there, although I'll tell you it's very uh, frank and honest and direct, that's called Straight and Narrow, that relates to the issue of homosexuality, what the Bible teaches about that. I think I've got some of these flyers out there, which is Covenant Eyes, uh, an excellent uh, internet filter and so forth that maybe be helpful that's going to relate to our topic at hand. And then if you, again, really want to deal deeply with these topics, there's a book called False in- Intimacy, which uh, says that it's about uh, sexual addiction, but to be honest, is uh, just an excellent uh, book for anyone to read, I think, as well, because uh, perhaps in some sense we're all at varying degrees of dealing with uh, with the subject matter that's in, in that book. And in some way or another, all seek a false form of intimacy instead of the true uh, God-given form of intimacy. So uh, those are just by way of introduction. We are moving ahead a little bit in our schedule. Our guest preacher, Alton Hardy, with Urban Hope Ministries, is going to be uh, with us on Memorial Day weekend, and so we adjusted the sermon schedule a little bit. So surprise, surprise, we're hitting hitting uh, chapter 11 today instead of chapter 10. We're continuing on this main theme that we have looked at as we walk through Second Samuel, and even last year, some of First Samuel. Uh, this main question: Who is king? And seeing once again today that God is king, that Jesus is king. Uh, In contrast, of course, to David, who was a great king in many ways, but as we're going to see here, was uh, was sinful in some very significant areas. Only Christ is a perfectly righteous king. Uh, In contrast to us who uh, make messes in our lives uh, through our sin, like we're going to see with David, and can't seem to get those cleaned up. We don't have the power to get them cleaned up. Uh, We see that God is sovereign. He's king in his ability to even use our disobedience to uh, draw uh, us back and to work out his perfect plan. He's sovereign that way. Uh, Lastly, we'll see as we're walking through this that uh, even though David fails to use the, the good gifts that God has given him, his leadership, his influence for God's glory, and maybe we do that as well. We're blessed in many ways. God provides for us. Uh, God watches over us, and, and yet we use those uh, benefits and blessings for sin often instead of for uh, walking in obedience to him, that uh, God still works out his plan through that as well. God is gracious to show us his kindness, even though we abuse the good gifts that he gives to us. So we will, we will see that today. 
the story of, of David, we're really going to be looking at this over two weeks because next week we'll look at Nathan and how he confronts David with his sin. So next week's going to be a little bit more about uh, repentance and faith and receiving God's grace. This week's going to be a little bit more, I guess, blocking and tackling. But I think we're probably generally familiar with the, the story, the account here, uh, David's infidelity with, with Bathsheba. The uh, consequent murderous efforts that David pursues to cover that up, his eventual coming to repentance uh, only with a confrontation from Nathan, his ultimate rejoicing in God's mercy, but nevertheless, his remaining years of his life having to deal with the bitter pill that he has to swallow because of his actions, the bitter pill of those consequences. So. Before we even look at the verses, I guess two things that I think might be sort of initial knee-jerk reactions for us, and I think we probably need to address before we talk about, even read the verses. Uh, one is that we, we might be here and we kind of immediately disconnect from this passage or this topic because we say, well, um, I don't struggle. That's not a primary area of struggle for me, this particular issue of adultery or infidelity that doesn't seem to be a, a struggle for me. Murderous cover-up schemes, those aren't a particular struggle for me. So maybe there's nothing here for me. That's one thing. The second thing is we may respond to these verses, and, and we've, we're familiar with the verses, so we would, would kind of tune out, because I've been there, done that, I've read that before. But we may have never walked through the play-by-play of what happens with David and really tried to think through, regardless of what our sin issue, maybe anger is the thing that overcomes you. Maybe greed is. Maybe gossip. Maybe racism. Maybe whatever is the thing that kind of uh, draws you and you can't seem to resist. David had a particular thing that he obviously struggled with and couldn't resist. But whatever that is, what can we learn from David that are general principles to help us see how we're prone to, to stumble Uh, Maybe we can think about it this way. Again, one more word of introduction before we read the verses. You know, we we have a guy in our our church whose job uh, is, whose occupation is to work with training and improving professional athletes and high-level college athletes with one of the local medical and slash athletic training entities in Birmingham. So people come in from all over the country. He can't even, he won't tell you who's coming because these are, these are pretty significant uh, athletes. But, but what they do, as I understand it, is they bring these folks in and they take all kinds of technical equipment and, you know, diodes and sensors and they attach them to their arms or their legs if they're a kicker or their arm, you know, if they're swinging, whatever their sport is. And they hook up, you know, high tech video equipment, high speed cameras, and they watch these men or women, these athletes uh, do their thing, do their pitch or, you know, hit their head or kick their kick. And, and they, they watch them for what purpose? So that they can go and and look at what they're doing wrong and how not to to do it. You know, why is it the kick shanked over onto the sidelines? You know, why is it that fastball went wild and hit the batter instead of going across the plate? They, They take a look at that content and then study it to try to avoid, to have that athlete try to avoid doing that again to improve. The same thing is perhaps true for us. I think we've got a huge opportunity here in regardless of what our particular area of chronic sin struggle is. And we've probably all got one or two or six. 
uh, whatever that area is, to look at the, the play-by-play, if you will, the, the videotape over David's shoulder of his sin, and then figure out how, from that, how can we pitch better, kick better, hit better in our uh, relationship with the Lord. So that's where, uh, where we're, I hope we're going to head today by way of extensive uh, introduction uh, look with me now and read along silently as I read aloud Second Samuel uh, chapter 11. We'll start in verse 1, go through verse 15, and jump to the end of the chapter for a couple of verses there as well for the sake of time. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David. When David came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, how's the war going? And David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. Uriah went out to the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord, did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, Ark of the Israel And Judah dwell in booths. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, remain here today also. And tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him and ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. In the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with his servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, sent it by the hand of Uriah. And the letter he wrote, set Uriah in front of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. And then verse 26 and 27 When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that that David had done displeased the Lord. Let's pray together again. Oh, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for uh, even uh, this approach to... Uh, Walking through scripture uh, chapter by chapter, which is not always the easiest way or easy as easily digestible as maybe other approaches. 
to things, but which uh, leads us, uh, we might say forces us, to address such important matters from your word that we need to hear and that we need to benefit from, that maybe bring uh, conviction to our minds and we need to be uh, seeking your grace and throwing ourselves on the, knee, on the feet of your mercy, that uh, maybe give us good, wise counsel about uh, good paths for us to follow, to stay in step with you. Whatever you would be pleased to do this morning, we ask, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would come and work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a fascinating historical and spiritual book the Bible is, isn't it? When you just step back from the subject matter today and consider some of those challenges we have to trusting the reliability, the veracity, the truthfulness of scripture, maybe even questioning it to at various times. Uh, what people in their right minds would include in the scriptures, if these are merely man-made documents, the kind of things you find in the Bible, Abraham allowing his wife to be mistreated at the hands of the potential enemies just to protect himself, Moses uh, murdering a slave master in cold blood, Samson's sensuality, Rahab's prostitution, Peter's denial, Mary's misunderstanding of Jesus' priority, Paul's persecution of Christians, and then, of course, we come to our verses today. Sure isn't some book about the celebrated actions of perfect people, is it? It's a book that reveals, honestly, the brokenness that we all have, our need for a Savior, our need for someone to take the punishment for our sin, and to grant us power to live in newness of life. And that's really what I want us to focus in on today. Uh, the main idea, and if you would like to follow along in your worship guide, there's a section at the back that has some notes and a few quotes I'll read here and there. But the, the main idea, I don't know if we, if we had in there at the time of its publishing, but it's, uh, it's just this. Since God's faithful to provide a way out, we should learn to avoid the pathway of sin. Since God's faithful to provide a way out, we should learn to avoid the pathway of sin. Let's talk for a minute about our situation, David's situation, Bathsheba's situation. Maybe that'll help us get our bearings. Uh, we need this, what this passage reveals to us about our situation, uh, about how to hit or kick or whatever we need to do spiritually. Because specifically in the areas this passage addressed, we live in a culture that is so far off of a biblical perspective that we are just we are swimming in water that we really can't even see through. But we're stuck in it. We're having air that we breathe that we we really maybe don't even recognize is influencing us. Think about it for a minute. When is the last time that you saw a positive monogamous, heterosexual marriage relationship in a TV show, a movie, in a book that you've picked up to read? When's the last time you've seen one of those? And if you have encountered one, think about how many times you haven't seen one of those for every one time you've seen that. Uh, youth, teenagers, college-age ones, all of us really 
are not only surrounded by the age-old temptation, young, young ones that are here to, as the Bible calls it, fornicate, to be involved physically, sexually outside of a marriage relationship, but also bombarded constantly with the pathways of the Internet and other things on cable that uh, we don't even want to mention here. And certainly, uh, if the popular understanding about such seemingly straightforward issues as gender and uh, homosexuality are confused, we know that we have long since wandered from biblical perspectives about proper heterosexual relationships uh, only in the bond of marriage. So that's our situation. I could go on and on, but I think we, we understand. I hope you feel, even without me having to express it, how palpable this is that we need to hear this message, all of us, from the youngest ones up to the most senior. Uh, then it's interesting, of course, to look at David's situation to kind of set our stage here. Uh, several commentators say that David's maybe around age 50 by this point. There's a lot of time that's, that's passed in there between the different events that we've seen going on through First and Second Samuel. Whatever age he is, we know from Second Samuel 5 that we read a few weeks ago and we kind of, you know, punted it to, to this week a little bit, that David has several wives and several concubines. He's not a man who's lacking in ways to express his desires in this particular area of his struggle. Does that make sense? So it's not like he doesn't have some way to express that. And it confronts that lie that we believe whatever our, again, whatever our struggle is, maybe it's the substance addiction, maybe it's the materialism of not being able to stop buying things because you've got to have that to be, maybe it's the approval of others around you, whatever that thing is that you've got to have, it confronts that, that lie right off the minute that, right off the bat, that the, the solution to that is you've got to satisfy it. You've got to satisfy it in the things of this world, not satisfy it in God. The scriptures are always directing us to find our greatest satisfaction, hope, delight in the living God. And in the case of uh, the intimacy, uh, physical intimacy gives us that opportunity within marriage to express it as well, a gift from the Lord. But, but David's got opportunity, so it's, it's, not, it's not like he's lacking somehow uh, for that. We know scripturally in Deuteronomy, though, that David was warned, all the kings were warned, not to go down that path. That they were supposed to be in a relationship with one woman. That was supposed to be their relationship as well. So, in a sense, David's already off track before we even get to these verses. He's already uh, wandered down uh, the wrong path. But, uh, but, but there's David's situation. Let's talk about Bathsheba for a minute. Uh, certainly the case can be made, if you read different things about this passage, that Bathsheba was being indiscreet in what she did. Going to bathe on a roof where people could potentially see you uh, was, was probably not a normal thing to do. It was not the best thing to do. That case can be made. And that as much as David's, the primary focus of this passage, that nevertheless, perhaps there was something in Bathsheba that she wanted the approval, wanted the sense of significance, wanted the passion of being desired by somebody other than her husband. Uh, we don't know. And we know that she seems to acquiesce to what David pursues, but he was the king. So we don't know how much liberty she really had with that regard. Uh, maybe there's a message to be taken from the passage in, in that regard. 
uh, about trying to not be a stumbling block for people around us, but it's certainly not the main focus of this particular passage. The main focus is David. And it really is helpful, as painful as it is to kind of read this passage and see him stumble and fall in this way, and for many of us to think through stumbling and falling that we have uh, participated in, in similar ways to David, perhaps in our life recently or years ago, or other areas of sin where we seem to walk down this same path that, that David does, is nevertheless, I hope, really helpful for us, again, to walk through these verses and to look at it like that friend I mentioned in here who's working with the professional athletes, to look at what, is, what are the things that David is doing that causes him to throw the wild pitch, to kick the ball out of bounds. What, what are those things and how can we learn from it? Well, the first thing we see in verse 1 is pretty clear uh, from the start. Uh, it, the passage you know, almost just sort of spits it out, but it, it's, it's pretty clear in verse 1. And that is that uh, David's commission is preceded by David's omission. There's things that he's not doing that lead to him doing the things he's not supposed to. Look at it right there in verse 1. In the spring of the year, in the time when kings go out to battle. <laughs> this is the time. He's a king. Where is he supposed to be? Where is he instead? Others are going out to battle. And then it, in case we missed it, it says in the last sentence of verse 1, David remained in Jerusalem. So one of the things we see right off the bat and that perhaps we can learn, it's like the uh, uh, catechism question says, you know, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. So one way to think about our struggles, whatever, whatever our thing is that we tend to, to fall prey to, maybe it's not in the same realm that David's dealing with, it might be another complete area, but that we're strongly tempted to pursue. Is, uh, is that if we're not actively pursuing glorifying God and enjoying him forever, if we're omitting that, then we're kind of setting ourselves up for failure. The other thing is this, that um, success and prosperity and blessing, if you will, often actually, as wonderful as those things are, and as much as we want those in our lives, rightly, they actually set us up. For a challenge as well. I like what Charles uh, Chuck Swindoll says. He puts it this way. He says, our most difficult times are not when things are going hard. Hard times create dependent people. You don't get proud when you're dependent upon God. Survival keeps you humble. Pride happens when everything is swinging in your direction. When you receive that promotion, when you look back and you see an almost spotless record in the last number of months or years, when you're growing in prestige, fame, significance... That's the time to watch out for. Uh, Robbie Zacharias put it this way. It stuck with me years ago. I heard him. He said, the aftertaste of affluence is boredom. The aftertaste of affluence is boredom. So whatever David's doing, number one, we know he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, what he should be proactively doing, going out and fighting the battles that he's good at and that God had called him to. He's sitting at home. He's in a time of blessing because we know from the chapters we've looked at before, he's kind of secured the kingdom. There's, he's in a place of comfort and security. For, for David, this leads him, in a sense, to forget God. We'll get to in a minute. Folks, I, I had a friend in, in ministry, and I confess I've even seen this own uh, tendency, if you will, or temptation in my own life. But this was a, a friend who, uh, who 
lived this out in some sad ways. I had a friend in ministry. It's no longer in ministry because when he would uh, have a ministry success, this will just show you how messed up we all are in our mind. So that conference would go really well that he was speaking at or that uh, ministry or discipleship. He would have a real significant influence or he'd lead somebody to Christ. This is as crazy as, as things get. Um, as he would come down off that high of blessing, of benefit, of things going good in his life, he would go and pursue relationships with prostitutes. Ended up in the newspaper because of it. So we've got to be careful what we do with the blessing, the prosperity, the comfort that we have. Uh, those omissions sometimes turn into commissions. Uh, where are you and I in that? Where are those places where we're not being proactive in the good things that we ought to be doing with our lives? And goodness, there's no nothing against us having time of rest or time to enjoy some of the material things and so forth that we we've maybe been blessed with. But we see here, David, he's he's forgetting who he is during that time. Where is that happening in your life and in mine? Second thing we see is the actual uh, committing of of this act. How, how does it play out? Take a look with me at verse two. It reminds me of that statement by Martin Luther, the reformer, who said, "You know, you can't keep the birds from flying uh, over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. Can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair." I wish I would remember that a lot of times in my areas of struggle, uh, but it's a good one. You know, we, we can't keep that uh, TV commercial about the new car from probably triggering our greed and our materialism. Uh, we can't keep uh, young people that peer pressure that we feel that makes us want to be like others from, from giving a pull to our, our heart or tugging on us. Okay, Those things come in as part of being a sinful person in a broken world. In some senses, again, if sexual temptation is a significant one for us, we can't keep those birds from flying over our head. But as we see here with David, there are some steps that he fails to take that we can take to keep them from making a nest in our hair. The first thing we see is in verse 2 that, uh, you know, David's wandering around and he sees this woman. It doesn't, you know, the Bible doesn't really use the term very too many times. It says she's very beautiful. This is a legitimate attraction for, for, this, for this woman. And, and David should sort of at that point recognize what he's dealing with, the propensity for a temptation, right? Uh, someone who's struggling with substance addiction, alcohol addiction, walks into a place and there's a bunch of alcohol around. They, if they're going to succeed, they've got to recognize, okay, I am now in a situation of temptation. David uh, needed to do that. He uh, fails to do so. And then look at uh, the next step that David takes. So, you know, his first step is not, you know, he really hasn't done anything wrong so far other than he's, you know, he's failed to be proactively doing what he should be doing. Verse 3, it says, David sent and inquired about the woman. Okay, so he's now taking the next step, says, uh, let, me, let me see about this. Let me pursue it a little bit and see what I find out. It's interesting, the response he gets from one of the servants uh, is the first sort of confrontation. There's actually three people we'll see next week that confront him. The servant, Joab, and Nathan is the one that finally gets through to him. He says, he doesn't need to say this, he could have just said this is Bathsheba, he says, Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. 
<laughs> right? He could have just said, he, she's married, David. She's a married woman. She's not available for you. And the servant tries to discreetly turn him away. It's a reminder that it's a, it's a, a subtle step from that attraction to sin and that next step to entering into sin. From uh, that extra time at the office just to see that one gal a little bit more. That extra time, ladies, maybe at the workout gym to hang out with that guy that you run into there. Uh, Whatever that temptation may be. It is uh, interesting to note in David's case, and we just have to speak to it in our culture, this is a heterosexual temptation that he's struggling with. But uh, no doubt in a group this big, in a culture as confused about sexuality as ours is, there are probably folks that are struggling in some form or another with same-sex attraction and looking for biblical principles uh, related to that. There's Again, some of these resources are, are uh, wonderfully helpful for that. So we, we see this with David. And it leads us to this verse, which maybe can, can be the one that we, we all maybe take with us and chew on a bit. 1 Corinthians, if you want to, turn to the New Testament and read this with me. You can. 1 Corinthians is towards the back of the New Testament. And it says this in uh, verse 12 of chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. It says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation... He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay? Again, watching David, uh, you know, throw this wild pitch, kick this ball off into the stands, helps us to see, okay, how can I in my life, because Christ is working, has loved me and saved me and rescued me, because I want to honor him with every aspect of my life, how can I apply this in the areas I'm struggling with? Well, there's a couple of things from this verse that are hugely helpful. It says in verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. It's easy to say, oh, I don't struggle with patience until you're in that moment where you're frustrated and you've got a situation that's testing your patience, right? It's easy to say, I don't struggle with with, uh, this particular issue of greed or substance abuse or whatever until you're pressed to the edge and you're wrestling with it. It's easy to say I don't struggle with gossip until you got some things you want to say about somebody else. <laughs> and it makes you feel good, like you're a, a better person than them to say something negative about them. So take heed. Be, be on guard. We ought to be ready to, uh, to see that. Then it goes on and says, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. That's a big one for me. I don't know about you, but I always like, when I'm struggling with my sin areas and thinking about taking a step into them, one of my favorite things to do is to create, in my mind, the scenario that I'm a special case. I'm probably the only person that has to deal with my struggles. I'm probably the only one that has to wrestle with it in this way. It's interesting how the Apostle Paul speaks to that. He says, no temptation has taken you that's not common to man. Other people deal with this. Again, we've said already each of our struggles may be a little bit different, but we're not the first ones to ever encounter this. It's no surprise to God would be another way of putting it. And then it goes on, and here's what I really hope we'll take to heart. God is faithful. God is faithful. Do we believe that today in those areas where we're strongly tempted? 
that God actually can be our delight, our joy, our hope. Uh, look at the statement I have in here. It says uh, about David, it's from Swindoll again. It says, God became quite distant and unreal to him. He forgot that he was God's man. He forgot all the lessons he had learned during the days of his youth and during his fugitive years in the wilderness. He forgot God. This is the guy that's able to oh, stand, trust God to deal with King Saul. And David doesn't kill him when he's got the opportunity to kill him. So he's not a guy that's never had the experience of being strongly tempted by something and then drawing on God's power. It's just in this moment, he's forgetting it. He's lost sight of it. And praise God for his mercy, for those areas where we do stumble. That there's hope and there's joy for us even when we go down this path. But boy, it's a bitter pill. Take a look at the next uh, set of verses, verse 5 and following. Uh, can you imagine? Uh, this is uh, verse 5 back in Second Samuel 11, I'm sorry. Uh, back in Second Samuel 11. Can you imagine getting this news, right? David's probably already dealing with the guilt of what he's done internally. But then he gets the news. There's a consequence to this. And, uh, you know, not one that can be brushed under the rug by a, a, sin, a further sinful trip to uh, Planned Parenthood or something like that. Uh, this one is going to last. And so David, uh, what should he do right at this moment? It's interesting to think again. What should he uh, the, the The evaluation of the, the pitcher in slow motion about to, you know, if you're helping that guy throw, what, what should you be doing right here? Where should your feet be? Where should your arm be? Where should your head be? What should David be doing right here? This is the moment when David's, if he hasn't done it already, where all oh, the, the, the joy, the, the blessing that would come to him if he would just own it and say, I did this thing. My brothers in Christ, forgive me. I, I repent of what I've done. But just like us, it goes from bad to worse. You guys read the verses. Is it the saddest thing, one of the saddest part of scriptures that you read when you see what happens, especially Uriah? You see what Uriah is doing? He's the epitome of faithfulness in everything that he does. Even when he's drunk, he won't go do what the king wants him to do to try to cover the whole thing up. And so David puts him at the front lines. Uh, Proverbs 5 and Proverbs 7 are some great passages to help us think about the consequences of us going down some of these paths. Uh, obviously, it, it, it takes two to tango. <laughs> In a lot of the situations that we're in, these verses talk about uh, the, the female side of it and that attempting part of it. And I suppose assume that maybe there's a bit more propensity on the part of men for uh, succumbing to this you know, type of sexual temptation. But gracious, in our culture, I think all of those lines have been blurred. Uh, maybe the most difficult thing, you know, you, you sit down with a men's group, uh, ladies, you know, y'all, y'all aren't in there, so you don't get, get to sit in these groups. But you, know, you sit down with a men's group and you go around the table, and I would say it's basically assumed that all the guys there struggle in some form or fashion probably with sexual temptation of some degree. And so there's actually a comfort level to being a guy in confessing these things. Never easy, but it's comfort level. Ladies, it may be a more difficult thing in, in your groups and in your circles to admit that, to own that. Because maybe it's not as common to talk about it. But we've got to talk about both sides of this. Verse 5, though, obviously highlights uh, 
a, a man towards a woman side of things. And it's speaking to a young person. So especially you young ones that are here, if you're, you know, eight, nine, ten years old, if you're up into the junior high years, high school years, college years, listen to these words from Proverbs 5, and then we'll kind of, kind of land the plane today. It says this, it says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion, that your lips may guard knowledge. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Seems good. Sounds nice, right? She was a very beautiful woman, it said in 2 Samuel 11. Well, listen to this. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. I don't know what wormwood is, but it does not sound good. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Flee. Get out of there. Do not go near her door of her house, lest you give, listen to to the consequences here of, of, of the expense that this has. You give your honor to others, your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And then in the end of your life, you'll groan, and your flesh and body are consumed, and say, Oh, how I hated discipline. How my heart despised reproof. goes on in verse 15. Listen to one of the solutions for this, for those that uh, God has allowed and blessed to be in a, a marriage relationship. Drink water from your own cistern. Forgive the uh, innuendos here, folks, but especially the adults. I think you'll pick up on them. They're intentional. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them not be yourself alone, for yourself alone, not for strangers. Yet let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely beer, graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman? And embrace the bosom of an adulteress. It goes on, but you get the picture. This is the, the Proverbs giving us a, a, a strong warning of the consequences. And we've all seen this play out. We've seen churches damaged by leaders that go astray. We've seen homes fall apart and broken by parents that go astray. We've seen companies even impacted by that. Uh, there's a beautiful and urgent warning here. Last thing we see, last couple things we see is the cover-up. I mentioned that already, really, with Uriah. And then lastly, verse 26 and 27, uh, back in 2 Samuel, verse 11. Um, I mentioned what David ought to be doing, where he ought to be repenting instead of covering up, but he doesn't do it. Then he covers up, even digs himself a deeper hole uh, with things. And then, and then look at what happens to us, too, when we don't really get our need for God's mercy and really throw ourselves on that alone. When we do sin, verse 26 and verse 27, it, it's, a, it's a sort of very shallow effort at, at repentance. He, he tries to bring her in, and it's still, he's still on his program. He's going to bring her in and try to cover it up. In his mind, he's, he's solving the problem. He's fixing the mistake. But he hasn't dealt with God, and he hasn't dealt with others uh, directly about what he's done. Folks, uh, I guess the last thing I want to say is this. This is why we as a church body really love to see folks connecting in men's and women's small groups and in life groups. Okay, We may not feel comfortable in 
three months. We may not feel comfortable in a year opening up to everybody in a group or opening up to everyone in that men's or women's small group. But Lord willing, we'll gather some people together. I, I have a, a friend that's actually in another church, and he's what, what I call an accountability person. And he's somebody that we know enough uh, dirt, if you will, on each other that we can sit down and talk about anything that's going on. And he helps me to deal with some of these issues and temptations in my life that I'm very susceptible to, I confess. And I help him with some of the issues that he's wrestling with. This is why we've got to be in community and connected with one another, because we can speak a word to one another to urge one another on a more godly uh, path. So think today, there's enough here for all of us to chew on, I'm sure, in that area of struggle in your life. Where does this passage give you a picture to uh, that process that you're going through where you're throwing that pitch and it's going wild, where you're prone to kick the ball out of bounds, and where you're seeing now, okay, I've walked through it. This is actually what's happening with me. And so next time, I can maybe be better prepared. I can get some other people around me, seek some other people to be in my life that I, that I trust and I'm going to choose to trust who can, can speak to me about these things and encourage me in these areas of struggle. That would be a beautiful application of our passage because the last thing that we see from these verses is that David is all alone. There's a huge privilege to his position, but nobody is around him. He's not inviting anybody else to speak into his life. And if that's the case for you, um, please acknowledge these things. We're all on this journey together. We've all stumbled in various ways. And uh, God wants to use that community connection to bless and strengthen us. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the conviction and challenge of a passage like this. It's uh, uncomfortable to heal here. It's uncomfortable to say, and yet we need it. Uh, Father, we pray that you would bear fruit in our lives, even these difficult things, for a better pathways forward. And you'd give us wisdom about uh, taking heed lest we fall, about this assumption that we're a special case. And Lord, that we would see that you are faithful when we are faced with um, things before us, that we can't seem to resist in our own power, and they're different for each one of us, that we would recognize that you are faithful, you're providing a way out, we would seek that way for your glory and your honor and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.